were circling around. Oh, yeah. that's odd. It's coming right for me! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. A recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. And we spoil. Yes. We spoil it. Just so you know, we spoil it. We can't talk about it. Not spoil it. There you go. We do indeed spoil it. To all the haters out there who are like, oh my God, you spoil everything. Then don't listen. (laughs) It's a recap podcast. We have no haters. We're we're speaking to our peeps who have watched it already. Yep. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah, by the way. And if you let your kids <laughs> fly in a plane, they should be able to listen to the podcast. I'm not doing any of that trick flying. No. I'll just say it right now. No, thank you. Nope. I didn't even like watching the, the scenes where they were doing it. Doing the loopity loops. Yep. Felt a little pukey. Uh, I felt a little yawny for this whole episode. We'll get to it. <laughs> There's some good... Good some, stuff. Some interesting things. It's here. still midsummer. It's still midsummer. Episode ninety nine, season sixteen, episode four, the flying club. There's no club. <laughs> Is it the flying the flying club or the flying club? It's it's not a club. Well, actually, she hit she hits him in the head with the plane, so it's a flying club. She uses the plane as a flying club. Yes, that's a blunt instrument for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we almost made a lady fall down. She laughed so much of her podcast. I consider that success. That is success. That's because of your awesome line. Does this face make my butt look big? Last week. <laughs> I think it was two weeks ago. You should be double proud of that one. Yep, yep. That was a pretty good line. (laughs) It was a very good line. And just a reminder that this time, I know you're not with us right now, but next week we're going to record and broadcast a live show on Saturday, September 18th at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Mm -hmm. And then we will edit that podcast and release it as a regular podcast on the Monday. But you are cordially invited to join us live. Two people have said they're coming already. Two? Two. Oh my gosh. There will be chat. We will be on camera. Yep. We will answer questions and repeat any good jokes you make. Yep. It's going to be a party. We'll steal all all your material. Absolutely. For episode 100. But this is episode 99. We made a mistake. No, I did. We may have assumed the status quo was a little less popular than they actually are. We received emails. Okay. To be fair, first, everything I said about that movie was true. Which both of the emails we received acknowledged. <laughs> and and we're, we're responding to this because two people bothered to send us emails, which means that a lot of other people felt that way and just didn't get around to it. Right? Exactly. <laughs> One, everything I said was true. Two, I concede that they may have been more popular in the 60s than I knew. I forgot that they did pictures of Matchstick Men, which Camper Van Beethoven redid in the 90s that I know it from. So. That's a good song. Yep. I respect the fact that people like them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they also were in Live Aid. They opened the show and they've uh, raised enough money that they're OBEs now. So. Hey, I'm not saying they're bad people. No. 
just that their music is kind of, eh. It's not as popular here as it is in other places. And that that movie was a bad move on their part. <laughs> that they've done better than th things than that movie. Acknowledged That's by everyone. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It didn't even have the same name in America. And John Lovitz is on the movie poster with his nipples out. I know, which Ooh. is just right out. Woo! That's in the show notes from last week if you missed it. By oh, the way. boy. You, no. If you didn't see that picture, you didn't miss anything. You saved yourself Woo! from seeing John Lovitz's nipples. Yep. There's nothing wrong with John Lovitz. He's a funny guy, but I don't need to see his nipples. Nope. Let's talk about The Flying Club. The Flying Club was filmed in July, August 2013, broadcast on the 5th of February 2014. Six million views, written by Luke Watson and directed by, uh, sorry, directed by Luke Watson, written by Michael Aitkins. This episode provides evidence that Kate has x-ray vision. Oh, I did not know that. Because they find Bernard's body and she immediately knows that he has vertebrae that are broken. He has ribs that are fractured and cracked. Yeah, she's... It's impressive. She goes... She has internal x-rays. X-ray eyes. She's got it like just, bionic eyes. Like, it just cuts out the whole process of having to take him to the morgue to be able to say, he was dropped out of a plane. Yeah. Splat. Splat. In the water. Yep. Man, that would hurt. Oh, what a rude awakening. I looked into it and there just isn't a lot of information about people who have died as a result of being pushed out of a small plane like that over water. Yes. Really, all you can find is survivor stories, like we had to bail out over water. Yeah. We thought that was our best chance. Yeah. And they, obviously, they get some injuries, but it's usually broken legs and things like that because you hit it, you jump and you hit it straight down. But because he's unconscious and he's pushed, I think he sort of belly flops into the water. It's, it's, and that's much more harmful. It is, I don't want to do that. It is a bad CGI death is what it is. But it's, but it's a good, Emma, it's a good method of murder. Oh, I, I would think so. Not that they don't immediately figure out exactly how it happened. Yes. I don't know what true. the killer's idea was there. Well, sure. They'll never figure this out, except everything is related to a plane. Okay. <laughs> so we start at Finchmere Airfield. Get it? Finch? Is it it's Finch's? It's a flying episode. Mm -hmm. Finch? Finchmere? You get it? Mm -hmm. there, there's no security at this airport. <laughs> People just leave their keys in their planes, you know, in case you want to tootle around in it. So Hoodie takes the keys and a wrench. There's a really nice poster in this part, beginning part for the air show. You're saying really nice sarcastically, right? Yes. Because it is the most obnoxious poster I've ever seen. It's yellow and red and has like an explosion shape yep. on it with a plane in the middle, which makes <laughs> it look like it's going to be a show of exploding planes. And little little beautiful June Whitfield down in the corner, badly cropped out and like stuck on like a sticker. It was put together. I'll <laughs> tell you that. Hey, I've seen worse ones in reality for like yeah. the state fair and stuff. So yeah. it's completely in line with what a poster like that would look like. It's extremely realistic, but mm -hmm. bad. And Bernard is working late on his spreadsheets and writing on his whiteboard. Mm -hmm. And he's writing stuff for the... Airfield Day Show. The flying fate, in in other words. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a fate with planes. Yes. And the hoodie starts the plane, which is actually a pretty good idea. Just to turn the lights on. Yeah, to turn the lights on. Because it gets his attention. Gets his attention. He goes over. She hits him on the head, flies him up, and CGI dumps him in the lake. 
Don't forget, she takes this giant wrench off the wall in the hangar, leaving an outline behind of the giant well, wrench. Well, Dougie has a good tool shed. You know? I wasn't sure, like, how many people really do that? Like, outline a tool. Apparently, a lot of people do it. I don't do it. I looked around online. Well, people with, with nice shops do it, so they know where everything goes back. I guess. I fell into kind of an abyss of drooling over other people's garages. Do we want to talk about giant tools? Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of giant tools in this. It's a big wrench. It is. And you, it's almost unrealistically big. Like, how? what kind of purpose would you put that to? Well, it's a plane, so there's going to be different nuts and bolts on a plane. It's not the biggest wrench, though, that exists. No, and I mentioned something to you when we were planning this episode. I'm not sure if you knew the reference I was making, because I'm not sure if I told you this story before. I asked you if it was the Rigid Tool Mm -hmm. was the largest. Because Rigid is a brand of wrenches. Yes, but the Rigid Tool is a very specific tool. Okay. The Rigid Tool is a tool that is carried around by the engineers of my uh, alma mater in Canada. Waterloo. Uh, during Frosh Week. They carry big wrenches around? They carry one big wrench. It takes six people to carry this wrench. Wow. Is a very large wrench. They wear robes. And is it sponsored by the Rigid Tool Company? They made them specially for this. They wear robes and, and carry are, a big wrench. And they are chained to the wrench. Is it on like a big cushion? No, no, no. They so car- six people are chained to a wrench? They carry it above their heads like a like a uh, like they're pallbearers and chant. Okay. <laughs> it's a very strange thing at, at my alma mater. Dear listener, the silence is filled with Sarah <laughs> making a face like uh, uh, what? <laughs> it was something I saw the first week I was at my university. And did you think, I've fallen into a parallel weird universe? I was like, and somebody goes, oh, that's the rigid tool. Like, like duh. You don't, you don't know that? Yeah, they walk through the middle of the campus center. I wonder if it's ever been stolen. Oh, I don't know. Because, you know, like, all my, like mascots and stuff like that get stolen all the time yeah. as a prank. Yeah. But you'd need a lot of people to steal that. Yeah, the engineers are pretty proud of their rigid tools. Where do they keep it when they're not carrying it around? I have no idea. It's very hush-hush. They got a big rigid tool case. Yeah. Maybe they've got a wall with a big outline of it. (laughs) And they put it on the wall so they know when it's missing. So tell me about the largest tool. Because I wanted to know what the biggest wrench was because immediately that's where my brain goes. (laughs) And your alma mater's giant wrench and this big monkey wrench in the episode got nothing, nothing Nothing. on the actual biggest wrenches. So big cargo ships and warships that have propellers. Yeah. That propeller is held on by one giant nut. Wow. Right? So you think of a propeller, even on a plane, it has like a nose that goes over the where they all join. Yeah. Under that nose is one big nut. Sometimes you feel like a nut. And they got one big wrench that they <laughs> use to turn it. It's massive. I saw a picture of one laying on the ground. Yeah. And there were two adults laying inside of where the nut would be. Oh, my gosh. That's huge. Like head to foot. Wow. So it's like... Six feet. Oh, more than... No, two people. Oh, Jesus. It's more like Like 10 feet. 10, 12 feet. They lift it with a crane and they turn it with a ramrod. Wow. That's amazing. That's a big old nut. Is there... Wonder, is there a video of that online? Yeah, we can link to oh, okay, one. Okay, I'll link to that. They're yeah. massive. Wow, that's a big nut. 
They keep the wrench on the outside of the ship because they can't put it inside because it wouldn't be able to get back out again. No. But I couldn't see if they had a big outline of where they're supposed to keep it. <laughs> on their giant pegboard. Bernard floats to the surface and I go on a wild trip. <laughs> okay. We're in the first 30 seconds of the episode. <laughs> because for some reason in my notes, I call him Gerald. And I'm like, there have been a lot of Geralds. His name's not Gerald. But I, because you thought it was, you went into a rabbit hole that isn't related to the episode. <laughs> yes. Okay, we'll so go then with I you. was like, well, how many Bernards have died? So I did a search. Mm-hmm. In Midsummer, how many Bernards have died? Just this one. Okay. There's two Bernards. This, and this one is dies. the first one. Yes. Okay. This so is then, Bernard Prime. Then I was like, wait a minute. How many Geralds have there been? Because I thought his name was Gerald. Yeah. There are six Geralds in the episodes. Okay. Okay. One of them is the killer. And all of the rest of them are dead. It is a bad name to have in Midsummer. So one Gerald is a killer and the other five are victims? Yes. It's got to be the most commonly named for most common name for a victim in Midsummer. It then. is the most common name by far for a victim. Man, these writers have something against Gerald. <laughs> so Gerald Farkinson's in The Noble Art. He plays the killer. Yeah. Okay. Gerald Hadley, he's in Written in Blood. Right. Okay. He's murdered. Gerald Bennett in Garden of Death, he's murdered. Gerald Ebbs in The Silent Lion is murdered. Gerald Woodley, that's the guy who dies of natural causes in his backyard and everybody's like, oh, darn. Let's just stand here until we're sure he's dead. (laughs) Nobody call for help. Yes. In Made to Measure Murders, he dies. And Gerald Epperson... Emperson in Market for Murder is the guy who remembers she's like, if my Gerald was here, yeah. he would Yeah, so he's dead before the episode. Oh, so so then two of them died of natural causes, though they might not have been offered help. Yes. So that means there are only three that are actual murder victims. Yes. Of three of six. Yes. <laughs> That's gotta be a higher percentage of Gerald's than there are in the general population. So then I came back and looked and realized his name was not Bernard. Gerald, but Barnard. Bernard. 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 Here's a here's a clue though, a hint. If you live in Midsummer and your name is Gerald, go by Jerry. It might yes, save your life. It might save your life. I didn't I didn't do a search for Jerry either. Oh. He should be Bernie. Maybe. Yeah, he should Bernard. Be. Yeah, so he's dead. So Bernard is played by Chris Nightingale, who basically stops acting at this point. Oh. He he's more of a behind the scenes guy. He does a lot of camera stuff. Oh. He's he's really not an actor. He stopped after this. He did like six things and this, and that was it. Well, once you get shoved out of a plane, you're kind of over it, I think. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I have very few onstage credits, but one of my onstage credits, the last one, is death. So I stopped playing. Yeah, I got shoved out of a plane and then kind of didn't want to do that anymore. No. So when we go to Barnaby, Sarah is out of town. Yes. With her mother. Yes. Now, she's already on maternity leave. Yes. So you'd think the birth is imminent. You would think. But not so imminent that she can't go away. No. Everybody I know who's gone on maternity leave prior to delivering a baby, they go on maternity leave like less than a week before they're due. Well, you see, this is the rest of the world. And I bet you, you said that last week. I was thinking about that. Maybe in the UK, you actually get like real leave. I bet she probably gets two months. Before? Yeah. Eight weeks before? Yeah. You're lucky here if you get eight weeks after. See, in the rest of the world, we have this thing called health care. Ah, well, it's convenient that she's away because in reality, the actress is having the baby. Yes. Or has just had the baby. Yes. 
they get to have her away. From, she's on the other end of the phone. Yes. So John's alone with Sykes. Yes. Eating dinner at the table, oh. which I knew would upset you. As soon as you saw him eat off the table, I knew you were going to get upset. <laughs> In my notes, it says, that's right out. <laughs> Dogs don't eat at the table. Nope. Okay, so we get the boat guys from two episodes ago driving around in the boat again <laughs> at the scene of the crime. Yeah. And he, it's determined that he fell 400 feet from a plane. Mm-hmm. Does it look like 400 feet to you? I, I'm not a good judge of distance like okay. that. Okay. I don't know, because the camera's way far away when you see him fall for obvious reasons. I'm no, yeah, I can't judge that. I don't know. Okay. Let's talk about the Danleys. Darnleys, sorry. Okay. So this episode is centered around an airfield mm-hmm. that is owned by Bernard mm-hmm. and the Danleys. Darnleys. Darnley. 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 We get Molly, matriarch, RAF, OBE, right? Her son, Perry, his wife, Miranda. Yes. And their son, Alex. Yes. Now, Molly is June Whitfield. Yes. Who in a million things. I will always remember her as Eddie's mother on AbFab. She was fantastic. She is the mother on AbFab. That's her, that is her credit for AbFab. Mother. Yeah. But she's like flighty, but, but clever. She's wonderful. Yes. Then Perry Darnley is Robert Bathurst. Yes. Which most people will know from Downton Abbey. Yes. But I have listened to his voice for 150 hours, probably. What does he narrate that you love? He narrates Louise Penny's Three Pines books. Oh, and actually we had some interesting news about Three Pines Inspector Gamache. The Three Pines Mysteries with Inspector Gamache, which are... uh, They're set in Quebec. Mystery series set in Quebec that Sarah really likes, that they did one episode. Two. They did two of them. They did two of them with the guy who plays Inspector Lindley. Lindley. Mm -hmm. We found out just recently that there was going to be a new eight-part series of the Gamache Three Pines Mysteries set in Quebec with Alfred Molina starring. Yeah. And we have, like... That is some good stuff in it. If Alfred Molina has has had quite a month because he's in the new Spider-Man trailer too. Ah, uh, yeah, and yeah. he's uh, he's he's having quite a month. But if you've never read any of Louise Penny's Three Pines mysteries, I highly recommend them. But start at the beginning. Gamache is probably one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's they're, a pretty cool. They're guy. really good books. Yes. Occasionally, Sarah will ask me a bizarre, strange question. question. <laughs> But Robert Bathurst has narrated all the audiobooks. Okay. And so as soon as I hear his voice, I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and then his his wife, Miranda Darnley, played by Sarah Stewart, she is that quintessential bitchy midsummer wife who wears the tiny belt over her shirt. Yes. She's that lady. Um, so, I'm sure Sarah Stewart is a very nice lady, but she is so good at playing this nose up in the air, condescending, wealthy lady. Yes. She's really good at that. So she, where I know her most from, I've seen her in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But she's in Batman Begins as Batman's, as Martha Wayne. Oh. And she's. I think we've said that before. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because this isn't her first movie. Robert Bathurst is also in a very strange movie called Whoops Apocalypse that we've talked about before. Whoops Apocalypse? Yes. It's about the beginning of World War III. It's one of those comedies that happened in the 70s and 80s because we're all completely 
terrified like of Doctor Strange love kind of yes okay we were terrified of the world war so we made comedies about it I did get an interesting thing about Robert Bathurst though that I didn't know when it was between him and Timothy Dalton for Bond at one Ooh. point yeah he would have been a good Bond he would have been a very good Bond I huh. think that would have been interesting. But Timothy Dalton was good too. Oh yeah, I think Timothy Dalton did a good job, but but, but I this thought... episode of Midsummer is is packed with gem actors playing very small roles, like June Whitfield. Yes. And like Bernard Cribbins who plays Dougie and like Robert Bathurst. They're they're so, big actors playing these these small roles in this show. So so do you want to talk about Dougie now cuz I got lots about Dougie. No, let's let's establish this family. So okay. the Darnleys, grandma, mom and dad, and then their son Alex, who's in the military. He's been to Afghanistan three tours. Yes, and Bernard has a wife, Stephanie. Stephanie. And they have no children or anything. Right. And then the other family is Jesse's family. Eddie Rayner, yeah. who is the plane watcher, the plane spotter, and his daughter, Jesse, who's the receptionist at the airfield or admin or whatever she does. I wrote an entire bit. I wrote a whole bit. It's like 10 lines in here. A whole <laughs> bit about Jesse's girl. And then the other night I was lying in bed going, it's not Jesse's girl. It's Jesse. The girl. The girl. And I'm, I'm like, oh, crap. So all those jokes are... But now you've got it in our heads. Thanks. Yeah. All you have to do is mention that song and it's stuck in my head. Well, it's a good song. Well, and and uh, then there's, there's there's Gavin, who is the... So, so Alex is the clean-cut military hunky guy. Yes. And then there's Gavin Hopkirk, who is the grease monkey, unshaven hunky guy. But they're both flight instructors. They both fly and mm. do aerobatic tricks. Yeah. And Alex and Jesse are engaged. Yes. So now we know how everybody's attached to everybody. And Gavin looks at them with puppy dog eyes constantly. Because <laughs> it's in, it's midsummer, so it's a small universe of tightly connected people. Yes. Did you see the sign under Bernard's desk? No. Oh, the one on the front of it? Have you read and signed the Flying Order book? It's important that you do that. Apparently. It, record keeping is extremely important in flying. It is. And so I thought it was interesting that when he wrote Spitfires on the whiteboard, it's been replaced and uh, with something starting with the letter Z. Oh. I don't know what it is. But Spitfire. Spitfire. There's also a steam engine on there. Yeah. I don't know why steam engine is on oh, the, the board. Because I was unaware that these flying fate things are a real thing. Oh, yeah. And they have all the things that are mentioned on the board. Oh, Okay. I mean, there's air shows all over the place. Yeah, the the I'm gonna put a video of the air show of one one of the auxiliary flyer flyers that is basically the woman from this episode, mm -hmm. and they talk about what else is at the thing, like cars, like pinups, like it's a whole historical, yeah, it's a whole snapshot kind thing. of deal. Yeah, boy, is uh, Jesse's father so mean to Charlie when he goes and interviews him? What do you want? There is nothing redeemable about Eddie Rayner. No. He's a miserable cuss. He's and not nice to anybody, not even his daughter. He also dies because of his inability to dodge. Duck. He to has the lowest dexterity <laughs> score ever. It's like, just lay down, dude. Just lay down. Don't even lay down. Move Sideways. six inches left. Duck and Bob, man. Um, Run in a zigzag. Run in a zigzag. So, so not only is he passive aggressive and, and kind of mean... Yeah. But he's also uh, litigious, right? He wants to 
um, uh, raise a suit against the airfield. He's trying to sue them. Yes. He's one of those neighborhood watch nosies who's constantly monitoring everybody and taking notes. He's mean to his daughter and trying to stop her from being happy by marrying the person that she loves, who there is nothing wrong with, right? And he's a blackmailer. He tries to blackmail Stephanie. He tries to blackmail Alex. There's everything wrong with him. And I cannot accept that he's like that because his wife suddenly died. Yeah. That does not explain him. He's just a horrible person. Yep. Nelson does a ton of the work in this episode. Yeah. He does. It's one of those, Barnaby sits back and... Is almost a background character here. Well, and Midsummer does a really good job of Barnaby telling whoever his sergeant is, go do this, 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 and this, so that later we can know the answers to all of that. Like, yeah. it's unrealistic that anybody could go off and just do all of that, but yeah. we just let that go for expedience sake. Yeah. He comes back and he says, okay, I found out all of this stuff. So it means that Nelson has done a lot of things. Plus, he tackles people. He does. I want to uh, give a props to the set dressers here. Mm-hmm. Because props. Well, first, <laughs> yeah. There are two binders in the office that have G-BZAV and G-ELEA. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any reference to those, to planes or UK or anything. But they look like they fit in an airport office. <laughs> yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. Well, and Bernard's home office and his ultra modern, how the hell did you afford that house? Yes. Um, has a lot of planes in it. It has those box file binders. Yes, it does. Very well organized. We're supposed to think that Bernard is like an OCD controlling well, figure. Well, he's a controlling freak. And it's clear in his home yes. that he does it at home too. But he has the most ginormous globe. Did you it's see that giant? Globe? It's like three feet across. Oh, my gosh. It's humongous. It was, it was like one mile equals one mile. Yeah, it's almost a scale. It's so big. <laughs> Plus, I don't have a problem with anybody who asks other people to take their shoes off. Because I, I come from Canada where everybody takes, takes their, their shoes, shoes off when yeah. you get in the house. Then Barnaby goes to the Belvoir. Mm-hmm. So The spa? The spa. Now, did you look into where that spa is? No. Like what it is? Like what the building is? Uh-uh. It's super interesting, that building. Okay. So we're, you're attached to the university here in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. And you're attached to a particular part of the university in mm-hmm. Bloomington, which is? The business school. Yes. This is the Henley Business School. Oh. Henley is in the police academy? No, Henley as in Reading University Business School. Oh, This is where their business school is housed. That is an academic building. And they turned it into a spa. It's a really nice building (laughs) for an academic. Oh, I've seen pictures. (laughs) It's gorgeous. That's just how it is. In England, you know, old is like 1,500 years old. and, And here, that's like, it's like 50. You know, I mean... They just have access to better buildings because they just have more old buildings. So, nice. of, of course, I wanted to see more of it. So, <laughs> I went online on the Google Maps and looked at the the street view. And there's a large sign that says business school. Mm-hmm. And right beside it, there's a sign that says metaphysical gym. You can work out here. Okay. So what I the heck is like, a metaphysical gym? Okay. 
A metaphysical <laughs> gym is not as interesting as it sounds because I thought it was like, does the philosophy department run oh, a is gym? Is somebody just trying to be clever? It's metaphysical. It is a metaphysical gym. It is perhaps the most posh gym I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> so when you're at your boys club meeting in the Henley Business School, when you need a break at lunch and you're done playing squash, you go over to the metaphysical uh, gym fitness center and work out there. Like the hoi polloi are not going there. Ooh la la. Of course it's next to the business school Of then. course it is. It makes sense. Yes. But the spa is where Stephanie works. Yes. She, she's waxing some old lady or something. <laughs> yes. And the receptionist is like, she's going to be a while. I just have this this image in my head that she's back there like waxing a gorilla with a bow on its head or something like, oh, it's going to be a while. <laughs> she goes, part of me asked her if he had any enemies. <laughs> she goes, no. And I'm like, but you. Yeah, <laughs> Sally. You killed him. Oh, Stephanie. Yeah. I was thinking Sally was, Sally, the receptionist uh, at the spa. Yeah. She's like, Girl, let me tell you all about Stephanie behind her back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does indeed for sure. <laughs> her husband was fired. I have a note here. Perry sure is rich. And his wife sure is awful. There's a really important thing here in the storyline that is a cause of a lot of the tension in that. So Bernard and Perry are co-owners of the airfield. Yep. And from the get-go, we know they are in money trouble. And Perry wants to sell. Well, they're a man down. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> Perry wants to sell and Bernard doesn't. Yep. And Perry is like old money. Yes. And he's going to lose everything if they can't sell it and, and get some money back. And his mother doesn't know he wants to sell. But him being old money explains why they live in a big house. Yes. Right? Bernard, he was a pilot. Yes. yes. But he was fired. He's co-owner of this airfield that is struggling for money. His wife works part-time at a spa. How do they have that gorgeous house? I don't know. I don't understand it. Yeah. It's There's nuts. no sign that either of these two families is strapped for cash. No. And yet... That's a central part of the plot, yes. is that they are both strapped for cash. Indeed. Because, you know, of the recession. Exactly. People don't want to learn to fly when there's a recession. No, they don't. And speaking of people flying, we now are introduced to the backpack story, mm -hmm. which is the ATA. Mm -hmm. What it is, is Perry's mom flew for the ATA during the Second World War. And the ATA is the Air Transport Auxiliary. It's a British civilian organization set up during the Second World War with its headquarters in White Waltham Airfield. And what they did is they moved planes around. Right. Right. It included, actually, there, there were other parts of it, but mostly include planes moving to scrapyards, moving to the front airfields. They, they even went to Europe. Once. They delivered planes wherever they needed to they, be. Were they all women? No. So there were, were other like retired pilots. and. In fact, if you could fly even though you had injuries like missing hands, missing legs yeah. and arms and stuff, you were eligible for this. And they actually had kind of a, a culture that the men were all wounded and 
and a bunch of women. Okay. That, that is what it was, right? So if you came back from the front unable to serve in a full capacity, but you were able to fly, you could yes. you could help out. So some of the pilots were women, uh, but it, all, it started out as all male mm-hmm. originally. But a couple of interesting things. In 1943, they were paid the same as their male counterpart. Wow, and that's that was rare. the first time in British British government society where women and men made the same amount of money. Wow. That's why, and you'll see the woman in the video that I'm going to put on. Uh, her name is Joy Lofthouse. She didn't, she says, it sounds horrible, but I didn't want the war to end. No. Because I was making very good money and getting respect. There were women like that all over the yeah. place during the war, though, because they were able to actually get good jobs because all of the men were gone. Then the men came back and they f- were forced out. Yeah. So they flew 415,000 hours, delivered 309,000 aircrafts, including Spitfires, Hurricanes, Mustangs, Lancasters. You name it. The whole thing, including the big ones. And Joy Lofthouse says that they kind of made a game of it where they were trying to, like the women were trying to fly as many different planes as possible. They took it as a badge. Like plane spotting. How did they get back? If you had to fly a big plane to an air base. They would have to how do you get back? Well, in, if it was in country, they'd probably drive back. Yeah. And if it was out of country, they'd come back on the next troop transport back. Oh, so you just have to hang around until... Yep. 174 pilots, women as well as men, were killed during the wartime era. From the ATA. From the ATA. Wow. So, you know, I always say anyone in the military deserves respect. Because even if you're a cook, you're... You still if you're sacrificed. a cook in Afghanistan, you're still sacrificing. Mm-hmm. If you're a cook at Fort Hood, you're still exp- yeah. you're still sacrificing, right? So absolutely fantastic and interesting story that is obviously the impetus for this whole episode. Mm-hmm. I think they probably started with that and built this story. But it wasn't re- released around like Armistice Day or or was it? No. Like, like but, would people have been wearing their poppies when this was airing? No, but I think I think it was just something being the turn of the century, like this is 2014 or so. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of interest in World War One, so I, I'm assuming it's hopping on. That, that makes sense. Yeah. I've seen this episode at least five times, and every single time in that last scene, when Dougie and Molly salute each other, I cry every time. Yeah. So every let's, time. Let's talk about Dougie. <laughs> Dougie Fresh. So Dougie Fresh is uh he's a mechanic at the airport. He's done 7 years of service. Yep. And can, can I fly? I can fly an airliner through that door over there. So he's 87 in this and he is of course played by Bernard Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins. Who's been in everything? So including per- every UK soap opera ever, right? Oh, yeah. Doug Bernard's story is far more interesting than that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So first of all, he was in Frenzy. Do you remember what Frenzy is? The silence is saying no. Okay, it's the Alfred Hitchcock movie about the guy who kills people in England, and the other guy gets. Oh uh, yeah, gets... that's ser- the serial killer one. Yep. It's trippy. Yeah, it's trippy, it's weird, it's 70s London. He must be really young in that. Yeah, he's very young. And of course, most people remember him from Wilford Mott from Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. He plays in that. Did you know he had a singing career? No. As part of what was, you know, 
we we have these ideas of people, but were you aware that there was a show called Cribbins? No. Okay. There was a named after him. Uh it's the box title for the DVD says, What's going on inside the mind of Bernard Cribbins? Wow. It's a whole ITV show. Okay. Uh-huh. It says both complete series of his ITV show, so it's a, like seasons. a stand-up sketch comedy show, mm-hmm. including the hit songs Hole in the Ground, Right Said Fred, and Gossip Calypso. Oh, it sounds funny. Oh my God, the, the song for Hole in the Ground was spectacular. <laughs> I'll I'll put the video on okay. on uh, uh, the show, show notes. notes. But Mr. Cribbins also did another particular bit of voice acting, and I I was unaware of this. <laughs> okay. And I'm I'm gonna that we're gonna play a game here. Okay. I'm gonna show you a piece of paper. Okay. And you're gonna you're either gonna know what this piece of paper is right away, or it's going to make you. You're going to have no idea what it is. Uh, okay. I'm either going to know it or not. Yep. Okay. So flip that over and tell me what you see. The Womblies. Yes. He is the narrator for the original series of The Wombles. Wombles, sorry. Yeah. Yes. So and I, and describe admit... The Wombles for our American audience, because most people would not know what The Wombles are. If you crossed a, um, a possum with a Teletubby. Yes. <laughs> That's a womble. So you have pictures there from the movie, The Wombles. Yeah. They have kind of long, pointy snouts and big eyes, and their um, bodies are covered in gray, shaggy fur, and they have selective clothing items like a hat. <laughs> yeah. So they were written by Elizabeth Beresford, mm-hmm. originally a set of children's novels in 1968. And then they made them into a television series that stop motion animation, these little five minute stop motion animation episodes, including the first episode, which has the best name ever, which is Orinoco and the Black Umbrella. Okay. (laughs) Mysterious. Which I will name a record eventually. And he, but he narrated all of them or just the movies or? He narrated the show. Uh-huh. And then later on in the 1996 CGI Wombles movie, which I cannot recommend. No. He did the voice for the character Great Uncle Bulgaria. Okay. <laughs> That's, that is the, the, matriar- the patriarch of the Wombles. It's like the Fraggles with Uncle Traveling Matt. Yes. So they're creatures who live underground and collect human rubbish and recycle it. It's oh. a very pro-environmentalism show in the mm-hmm. 70s, right? Did you know they amassed eight top 40 singles in the UK? The Wombles? Nash- the Wombles, including one that reached 55 in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 charts. Wow. What is it? It is the Wombles oh. theme song. Oh, their so, theme song. It is a weird wow. show. Bernard Cribbins did all kinds of stuff. He oh, did. kids shows are always trippy and weird. It is. He also I, did this bat show that was really strange. I can't even see a clip of Thomas the Tank Engine and not twitch a little bit. It's all weird. So he's in He's in a, a couple of episodes of the original Avengers, the UK Avengers, mm-hmm. which is why I did. I also did an advanced search to see if anybody was in the Avengers television show in Britain and the Avengers movie, <laughs> but no one has been. Wow, you, you went 
kind of far afield from this Midsummer episode with your research. I did indeed. I wasn't sure if you knew the Wombles or not. Because if you haven't seen the Wombles, that's a very strange picture. Yeah. And, and I'll admit, I, I had a hint because they've got W's on their shirts and hats. Yes. And that helped me remember. Yes, I thought it might. Bernard is killed by being pushed out of a plane. Yes. Then Eddie, blackmailing grumpy Eddie, gets a phone call. Meet me in the wheat field. Uh, okay. Uh, um, why would you meet? If somebody calls you and says, meet me somewhere where there's nobody around, don't go. Yeah. He's a blackmailer, though. Yep. So he's all right with that because he's thinking he's going to get a payoff, I'm sure. But instead, he gets north by northwest. He drives out in the middle of nowhere. Can't get a phone signal. And there's a plane. Hmm. Circling around. Oh, that's odd. It's coming right for me. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Now, a crop duster, an experienced crop dust flyer, could absolutely do this. Absolutely. But Stephanie's been taking lessons for like a couple of months. And he still could dodge. Yes, just like Cary Grant does in North by Northwest. I love that we get Killer Cam on a plane. Though. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we get Crop Cam too. Yes, we get Crop Cam. So he dies from being hit in the head with one of the tires from the plane, which basically breaks his neck. And it would. Oh. It's going over 100 miles an hour and hits you in the head. That's going to break your neck. Now, do you think, and this is only a question we could ask on this podcast, do you think that would cra- then crash the plane? No. You don't think so? No. Okay. Not, no, That that's a big enough plane. I mean, I think you'd feel it. Yeah. But I don't think it would crash you. Okay. Now, if it got snagged on something, like if instead of a blackmailer's grumpy head, it was a power line, uh, maybe. Yeah. And she's way below the power lines. Yeah. What she's doing is incredibly dangerous. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. She, she's got a good chance of crashing trying to do this, just trying to do it. But she pulls it off and almost knocks his head off. And the, the world is not worst for the loss of, of Grumpy Eddie. No. Even his daughter Jessie's like, I'm sorry he's dead, but he was kind of a, an ass. So. Uh. And then X-Ray Kate shows up. <laughs> now, this one I can believe because his head was probably like a bobblehead, like flopping all around. After being hit like that, yeah, <laughs> I think she's... you could probably tell. But this whole thing about, oh, well, the the black goo that's on his head is a special rubber compound only used for tires on planes that are used for training runs. Yeah. I couldn't find any corroboration that flight school planes use different tires. I didn't understand why. They I don't know why it. they would. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because Eddie's down because he failed his dodge roll. Okay. I have a very serious question about this episode. Mm-hmm. How long do you think it took Charlie to clean up the house to get it into the state it is so that Kate's parents could come over? Because the first thing they say is, Wow, it's clean. clean. How bad was it? How bad was it? Well, and you have to assume that even when she was living alone, when her parents visited, she probably made an effort to clean up. Yeah. And they thought that was messy. So the fact that it's actually clean now. Yeah. Nelson's been doing some work. He polished that Vogue poster. (laughs) What did you think of her parents? I thought along with everything in this episode, this episode tries to be an episode about the horrors of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. and fails by making them benign. Mm. Right? So her father, who I don't think he is, I think he's misguided. Mm. But he immediately, when 
the guys in the uniform walk by and he says, that's good breeding stock. Mm-hmm. I'm like insulted as a man yeah. who has a child who's yeah. female. Like that's. But that's, the majority of his character is just, I'm an accomplished man who's now retired and don't know what to do with myself. Which is an idea completely foreign to me because when I retire in, you know, 20 years, I will have a list as long as this house. <laughs> of stuff you want to do. Of stuff I want to do. <laughs> it well, will not be he's sitting around the house doing nothing. It'll be I never see him. I think it applies to to people who are defined by their occupation. I think that's why it's difficult so. for some people. Yeah. You can't do surgery as a hobby after you retire. No. <laughs> right? You can't really do that. <laughs> And so he's restless. But I do like her mom a lot. She's like, oh, at least with you here, it diffuses him a little bit. Like, he spreads his misery across both of us. Yes. <laughs> and I love how they all think that they're Kate and Charlie are together. And Kate does nothing to dispel that. Oh, see, I in my notes, I said that I was glad that they didn't play that joke. She introduces him as her lodger. And her parents aren't like, sure he is. That that they don't make that joke. And I yeah, was, but they I was glad that down. they didn't. I thought I thought they were kind of No, like, she does. Kate uh, does. She uh, says, Yeah, I'll bring Charlie. Oh. I because, guess. you know, he deserves it. Yes. To have to go. <laughs> I thought they did a really good job of not trying to force some kind of romantic insinuation on them. I like that. Okay. At the cop shop, we have some emails. Yeah, because they finally get into Bernard's ultra security Mac. laptop. <laughs> the first Mac we've seen. Yeah. Macs are usually not No, shown. it's not the first Mac we've seen because, you know, you put your iMac in the tunnel under the church where it's wet. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So this is the first <laughs> Mac laptop we've seen. And apparently Bernard has super security on it. Because yes. it takes the tech bods like days. Days. But they do get two e- emails. We don't know who these emails are written by at first. Until they get we, the IP address and go, yeah, it's Miranda. We find out that it was Miranda. So these emails are pretty interesting. I couldn't read them. The first one says, do you want to take your last flight ever? I can make this happen. You wouldn't even see it coming. Be careful, Bernard. You need to start watching your back. See, if I could have read that on screen, I would have known right away it was Miranda. That sounds like her. Yep. And and that is on point for, you know, episode about Flying Club, even though there's no <laughs> Flying Club. But, but he's supposed maybe to not that's know what, who's sending these. Maybe that's what they call little airports. I'll give them that. Oh, it's down at the Flying Club, like the Cricket Club. Yeah. Okay. I'll give them that. It's not a club. That plane was when it hit Eddie's head. Yes, it was. But the second email is right out. (laughs) She's escalating. The second email says, I'm going to rip you apart piece by piece until there's nothing left. That's what you are. Nothing. See, again, that is so Miranda, isn't it? (laughs) I love when confronted with this. She tells in front of her husband, the cops, that she slept with Bernard to get him to sign the papers. Again, those emails are so nasty. So she had to create this anonymous account to email him these nasty emails to threaten him, which shows me they were in desperate financial constraints. She's willing to have an affair on her husband. She's willing to send threatening emails. But then in the end, they're just like, yeah, we're not going to sell. Oh, 
I guess it's not so pressing now, all of a sudden. So let's talk about that that scene. So they go to Perry's house. Yeah. And, okay, he is upset because he wants to sell the airfield. Right. So they don't lose and Barnaby, the ancestral pile. Barnaby lets it slip that the airfield's going to be sold. Mm-hmm. And Molly's like, that can't happen. Right. And he's like, oh, well, I got bullied at that airfield, and you're, it is going to happen. We're going to sell the airfield. Then he finds out that possibly his wife, with no, no moral judgment, slept with Bernard to get the deal. Mm-hmm. So he's having, it's, it's a very bad day for Perry. Poor Perry. That one meeting. And he walks by Barnaby. Did you hear what he said? No. <laughs> he goes... Most helpful. <laughs> I was like, that is so understated British it's gentleman opposite day. guy. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks. <laughs> Kate says that Bernard had an Icarus complex. Yes. She's talking about Bernard when she says that, right? Yep. Do I have that right? Yes. And that it often... Or is she talking about Perry? She's talking about Perry because... Because she's saying, she says that it it has something to do with um, sons and fathers. Yes, because Alex is Perry's son. Well, and Henry, Perry's dad, is this heroic angelic icon that they have this giant painting of. Yes. And that's where his mom and dad met at the airfield. He was the CEO of the airfield during the blitz. Yeah, the commanding officer. Yeah. He was a big deal. And and Perry has probably lived his whole life thinking, I'm never going to live up to my dad. Yes. Right? And I'm sure there have been times when Molly has compared them and pointed that out, that he's come up a bit short. But the Icarus complex has nothing to do with fathers and sons. Okay. That's the, I mean, maybe the, you could stretch it and say maybe the Oedipal complex. Maybe. Because it has to do with like parents. Yes. And and children. But you know who Icarus is, right? He's the character from mythology who it, he makes wings out it, of wax and flies he flies too, too high. He's warned repeatedly not to fly too high. He does it anyway. The, the wings melt and he falls. Yes. Right? So it's used to describe people who are overly ambitious beyond the limits of their personality. Okay. Right? These are people who are, they're attention seeking. They have grandiose egos. They're, they, the, they're the people who say, I'm going to write a novel that's going to change literature forever. And they never write the novel. They never start. Yeah. Right. And they don't see that it's necessary to prepare in order to accomplish that goal. Yes. It's the goal itself that's so important. And they completely ignore the damage that their inability to live up to their own goal costs other people. Okay. Right. So they'll half-ass accomplish something at the cost of other people. Okay. And they they just disregard it. And we've seen people like this before in Midsummer. And but I learned a new word. Okay. Here's your word for the week. Okay. Ascensionism. Ascensionism. Okay. It's the belief that no goal is unreachable all the while feeling imminent failure. Oh. So you think I can become president. I can you say I could become president if I wanted to, and I'm going to. But in the back of your mind you're going Oh, I'm probably going to fail. This is going to be horrible. Oh. According to the experts, Marlon Brando, Orson Welles, Hitler, Stalin, 
Icarus Complex. Yeah. And I would say Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Who's in the news right now for her Theranos thing. I I would absolutely She definitely has Icarus Complex. I would agree to that. Perry, not so much. No, Perry. doesn't have big goals. Alex, not not so much. No. Neither of them are like, I'm going to do something that no one can do. Never mind Alex and Gavin are involved in the acrobatic flying subplot and the smuggling subplot that we have not mentioned at all no, in this episode. No, not yet. Uh, it's not really that important. No, but they're smuggling red herrings. I was disappointed that they mentioned Icarus Complex because it's so clearly not the right no. thing. Yeah, it's definitely wrong. Then we get a weird killer cam scene with the old lady making tea, and it's just Dougie. Dougie and Molly should just hang out. Yeah. They should just be friends. They're the oldest people in Midsummer. Yes. They should hang out. I'm endlessly impressed with June Whitfield. Yes. She always looks so cute in all of her little outfits. She does. And I know that's condescending, but she's a tiny woman. She's a tiny woman. In tiny cute outfits with little hats and stuff. And Dougie, (laughs) Dougie's always so good. And he's so... Like, I'm always, like, reminded of his Doctor Who scenes where he has his mouth, hand in front of his mouth and oh. he's holding back the tears. I'm like, oh, Dougie. He's so good at crying. Dougie. Dougie can't cry. No. They light him special, too. They do. When he's sitting on the crate in the hangar yeah. and it's all dark, except there's this dramatic spotlight on yeah. Dougie. It's he, the Dougie light. He's He's got some light. <laughs> okay. So this is an air show f- fate. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it has a car show, too. Yeah. And makeovers. Yeah. And you pin- can get victory rolls in your hair. And pinups. Yeah. And flappers. The flappers do not belong. They do not belong. That's intercession and- stuff that should not be at a World War II thing. And at first, when I when I went through very quickly, I had to stop and go back. Because at first glance, because you don't see the other people in the room very quickly... You see Kate's father with a bunch of children in a tent, and he's sitting with them. He's putting bandages and on I kids' like, heads and stuff. What is Kate's father doing with kids? <laughs> but you go back, it's doctoring, it's yeah. all above board. He's talking about yeah. World War II field medicine, because yeah. he's a doctor. They're raising money for the Costin Hospital Charity Trust, mm-hmm. too. Right? Kate's got her bucket. Oh, good breeding stock. That line just doesn't. It bothers not, you, doesn't it? Does not need to be there. No, just it makes Kate's dad worse than he's supposed to be. Yes, but that may be our perspective. Even though this is less than ten years ago, a lot has happened. Could be that it's more offensive to us than it might have been at the time. I guess. I don't know. It's I'm hard. glad they have Perry there to put the microphone away. <laughs> <laughs> Perry's the MC. I guess. He knows all about planes. He runs the whole thing, though. They should have some sound guy do that. Yeah. So Stephanie has sabotaged Gavin's plane. Yes. But then Gavin and Alex... Switch plane for no reason at all. And then have a toxic masculinity bet for her. I was sort of offended by that because we are led to believe that Alex genuinely cares for Jesse and that he's not he doesn't pretend to care for her just so that he can win yes and I remember when I saw this episode before being offended by that bet thinking that that was inconsistent with what we were supposed to think of Alex but this time I had a different impression okay what was your different impression he is so sure that he's gonna win that that's not even what he's betting what I- he's doing is saying, 
after this, you go away and you leave her alone. I I can only... Which is still kind of toxic, yeah, but... That is the best case scenario. So they swap planes and, of course, Gavin's plane, which Alex is flying, starts to fail. Sarah almost throws up. Yep. Watching... <laughs> Watching this plane fall like, out of the seeing sky. Seeing those scenes, I'm like, yeah, Sarah's going to skip this part right here. Yeah, I watched it. I didn't. I was like, uh, I can't eat and watch this at the same time. Uh, but he survives, and Gavin immediately runs over to him and actually cares. And like, there's there's no perception that 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 comp- competitive nature between the two of them it disappears right away. Is yeah, anything Which, more than just that? To me, it doesn't need. They don't need to have the bet. They they could have easily said. I bet you a tenor. Yeah. And it would have been as fun. Yeah. Because if Alex is confident of his relationship with Jesse, he shouldn't care that Gavin moons around. No. All no. that's going to do is make Gavin look stupid. Yeah. It's no threat to Alex. Yeah. Then we have the big smuggling scene. Yes. Because there are um, there are flights boom, recorded boom, in the notebook boom, as boom, NL, boom, no boom, lights. Boom, 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 Why boom. would you write that down? I don't know. Nelson. Figures it all out. Tackles Alex. Tackles does Alex. Does a good job. It's not quite as good as him in the foot race around the weir no. a couple of episodes ago, but it's pretty good. He does tackle Alex. And, and then we I find sit, out that Jesse's the girl yeah. is the other person. And then I sit and shout uh, at the episode to just turn on the lights in the hangar. Yes. Just turn them on. <laughs> Barnaby's wandering around among planes in the dark. Just turn on the lights. There's lights. I'm sure there are lights. Yes. Turn on the lights. And we learn that Alex... Until now, has been smuggling stuff with the help of Gavin. Yes. But Jesse's filling in. I guess. And what he's been smuggling are Fadex. Fadex. To sell, yeah. right? It's a computer. Full authority digital engine control system. Okay. Do you know what they do? No. As I'm sure you know and understand, planes are very complex. Yes. And every one of those dials, buttons, and switches you see in a cockpit of a, of a typical plane that you fly on... They all actually do something. Yes. Every single one of them. Every single one is important. This little box basically does all of that. Oh, okay. So it it responds to things that the pilots do, but it also monitors every system in the plane and adjusts things for optimal performance. So it can adjust engine temperature, engine pressure, fuel flow, air density, everything. So it's a flight-related technology that the army would have that's not a weapon system no it's not a weapon See, system they they threaded that needle yeah. very well because if and if, they're used in planes that are not military planes if too. alex was giving away missiles it would be that different. would be different yes. no this is just it's an advanced unit that makes a plane work better and be safer because yes. it's also a redundancy and system. they're probably pretty expensive you can buy one on ebay for forty seven thousand dollars i think it's a bit shady but there's a few <laughs> on sale there they are used I, I gotta think that it's a bit shady <laughs> new i don't know what they cost but he's selling it to some french dude he knows like he's not yeah. selling it to the russian military or the chinese he's selling it to a french guy charlie call the raf what i just bang on the phone until it says RAF. There's a button. There's <laughs> oh, okay. the RAF button. Oh, okay. So what he's selling isn't proprietary. It's not a weapon. It's not even really secret. They're just really expensive and advanced. Anybody can buy one, but they're pricey. Yes. So I guess we're supposed to think that he stole it from the RAF and is selling it. Again, to save the airfield. Yeah. 
So he's going to sell this to pocket the money to reinvest into the airfield and keep I it guess, going? I guess. But that can't be why Perry and Miranda say they're going to keep the airfield. No, I don't it's understand. It's not from that money. I don't understand how they can keep the airfield. I keep now. trying to figure it out. We, we skipped over one thing that was kind of fun, though. Okay. When Charlie figures out what's going on with the smuggling, he's like, I need to go see Barnaby. Don't you need to come with oh, me, yes. Kate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, work calls. Bye. And Barnaby sees right through them, too. Yeah. Like, ah, you're just avoiding your parents, aren't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we will never know what box set he was about to watch. No. I, I like to think it was a Hammer Horror Films box set. <laughs> he says episodes. Yeah, he does say episodes. So it's got to be a TV show. Yeah, maybe it's Midsummer season one. <laughs> yeah. And then we find out, well, Stephanie's been secretly taking flying lessons, even though she said she gets sick three feet from the ground. Well, it's apparently a lie. six feet from the ground, she doesn't. And the biggest clue, the clue that I'm sure you missed, is that she asks them to take their shoes off and then doesn't when they go to her house. Yes. That's the turning point. That's the clue that tells us everything. That Bernard was a controlling jerk, and so Stephanie is the killer. Yeah. Okay... Did you catch the name of the tech guy? <laughs> Mike Cohen. Okay. He sends the email to Charlie. Stephanie's got a flare pistol. Okay, so before we get that, where is Gavin? He's at the airfield. Mm-hmm. No one is around. Right. And he drives way out to this building in the middle of nowhere. So it it's like some kind like, of auxiliary hangar? I guess. Why is he there? Why is his phone there before he's there? I assumed he'd been in the hangar, set his phone down, then went off to do something without putting it back in his pocket. He's going on a nice alone walk in an empty airfield. <laughs> yes. To check on some planes, I guess, to I do get, his job. And we get killer cam and then whammo. Yep. And Stephanie has a flare pistol. That flare pistol would kill you. Oh, really quickly. I wasn't sure. Oh, I... I didn't realize there were different kinds yeah. of flare pistols. Typically, from what I was able to find out, if it's big, red, and plastic, it'll probably bounce off of you. If it's black and matte and gunmetal looking, it'll probably kill you. Yeah. It's just a difference of the kind of flares and the, the propulsion mechanism of the flare. Yeah. That one, I don't know if it would go through you, but it would definitely hurt you. And. And it's full of, like, Bernie stuff. And don't Google it. Oh, God, Because no. the injuries are horrible. You don't want to see them. The burns are really bad. But, of course, you know, Barnaby is brave. Yep. He'll just stand in front of somebody with a gun and talk him down. Yep. He talks her down. And we should be feeling sorry for Stephanie because she killed her husband because his controlling was... He was abusive. His, he was abusive. We never see that. No. I wish we'd seen that. Like, you could do that in a flashback. Or if other people had said, you know, Bernard was a bad guy. Yeah. You should have seen the way he treated her. It kind of comes out of left field. Yeah. Second of all, she doesn't need to kill anybody else. She didn't need to kill him. She could have just left him. She could have just left him. She could have run away like she was training to do. She could have divorced him. Yep. She could have gone to stay with Sally. Yep. She could have done all kinds of things. All those things. Instead, not only does she kill him, but she does so in a complicated way that shows premeditation. She's not going to be able to claim insanity here. But she must be a Looney Tune. (laughs) Because if she wasn't a Looney Tune, she would have just left him. (laughs) Leaving is not always easy. Oh, I agree. I understand that. I understand. And if she was trapped at home, 
and he was domineering there with her, I would say, okay, she couldn't leave. I just wish we would have seen that. Like, right. And we get hints of it, but the hints are not enough. And they're almost all from her. So we don't know. Like at first she says, he drives me to work. Which is innocuous at first, but Mm -hmm. then when you find out what he's like, you realize that that's horrible. Yeah. But somebody should have said he doesn't let her have a car. Right. He's controlling. Somebody else should have said. But we hear nothing about him being like physically abusive, which would give her the fear of like, I can't leave because he'll hurt me. He's an asshole. Yeah. But he's not scary. He's not. And- he could have been more scary at the plane at night, mm. right? Yeah. When he turns around, he could have seen who it was. And been like, what are you going to do to me? Yeah. Or some, some... Why aren't you at home? Some bullying activity. Yeah. And we just you don't see it. You should be at home it. where I left you. We don't see it. And then the killing of him makes her go Looney Tunes and start killing other people. So she kills Bernard because he's a controlling husband. She kills Eddie because he knows she did it and he's blackmailing her. Yes. Why does she want to kill Gavin? Because he also is trying to set up a flight school at the Costin Airport. And that's where she's taking lessons. So maybe he's seen her taking lessons. Eventually he put it together. There are a lot of people on that list, honey. (laughs) Yeah. Who might have put it together. Yeah. (laughs) But then we get the best scene of the episode. Because we know that Dougie is always trying to say that Molly killed his sister and that she should admit it. And then we find out the truth. That that basically Dougie's sister committed suicide because... Molly and Henry were in love and Henry didn't want Dougie's sister. So she takes this risk that she she doesn't need to take. That doesn't need to take. I don't know if I would go as far to say she commits suicide. She does something she doesn't have to do that nobody asks her to do that she knows is really, really risky. She acts recklessly. Recklessly. Yep. And not for the benefit of anybody else. She doesn't do something heroic. And she, Molly's trying to protect Dougie from that. All this time. But, but then she she finally tells him. She tells him. And then they have this very sweet scene at the memorial. They do. And Dougie's teary-eyed. Yeah. And so I'm teary-eyed. And like, the, Dougie can't cry. And then planes fly over. Get it? Get it? Planes. Yeah. Yeah. They salute each other. They do. It's very touching. Yes. Do you... It, it shows... Because he also has... He's also in the military. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure which military... He wasn't part of a war because he was 14 in the war. So he may have been part of Korea. Right. Or, you know, just in RAF service. He's too old for like the Falklands, right? Yeah, he's too old for the Falklands. Korea would have been his most likely. But he's definitely retired military RAF. Yeah. Yeah. And they salute each other. Do you know the difference between a U.S. military salute and a British military salute? Is it have to do with the palms... Facing out and down? It does. Okay. So in the U.S., you you put your index finger to your forehead, basically. So it's flat. Right. Like a brim of a hat. Yes. But in the U.K., it's the the top of your fingers are against your forehead. So it's palm up. With palm facing out to the person you're saluting. Yes. So I was looking around to see how other militaries around the world do it. Yes. And it's very interesting. Every place that the Brits colonized yes does it palm forward okay that makes sense even canadians yes i know canadians and the indian military do it right but there are other places that do it differently so the polish yes 
put their index and uh, middle fingers together. Okay. And then your your ring, pinky, and thumb are together in front of your palm. So it's okay. like you're like you're counting to two, but you put your fingers together. Okay. And then you touch your forehead with those, like you're saluting, but and with your palm forward. I think that's Cub Scouts too. No, oh. Cub Scouts is three fingers. Oh, that's right. Cub Scouts is three fingers. You should know that. I should. There's this long story about because it's been forty years since I've been in Cub Scouts. So the Polish do it. Because what they're doing is pointing to the eagle. There's always an eagle on their hat. Okay, because it's the royal symbol of Poland. Poland, yeah. yeah. And so that's that's how you know where their fingers go. So they don't touch their forehead, they touch their hat. Okay. Every military hat in Poland has an eagle on the front. Okay. No matter what it is. Wow. Even their berets. Okay. Yeah, but the Boy Scouts do it with three, three fingers. Three fingers. Well, what's interesting is the Boy Scouts were doing that before Poland started saluting that way. Oh, that's interesting. I found this wackadoodle blog entry from this guy who's like, <laughs> what's the highest level of Boy Scout? Like super uber Eagle Scout? Yeah. Uh, he was like super uber uber Eagle Scout saying that Poland stole their salute from the Boy Scouts. Okay. And how could they do that? The Boy Scouts don't own anything. No. <laughs> No, and they were, he was like, and, and Rudyard Kipling is the, the Boy Scouts are based on Robert, you know, blah, 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 blah and uh, the, the Poland doesn't even have a story like that. And how, how, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh really? Like, you think the Polish wow. saw a Boy Scout and went, that's how we're going to salute. That's it. But we got to do a, a little bit different. I know, two fingers. That's cool. We'll do that. The myth is that that common kind of salute of a, a hand to the forehead in whatever orientation is a reference to a medieval knight lifting the visor of his helmet oh, okay. to show his face. That's not true. It's because it's always been a sign of respect to remove your hat to a superior. Yes. But when hats become more complicated and more difficult to take off or like attached to your fancy wig or whatever, yeah. you, you stop doffing your hat and you just kind of signal to doff your hat. And then uh, that ends up becomes being that. a salute of some sort. Yeah. yeah. It adapts. Okay. It evolves. Okay. So it's symbolically doffing your hat. Okay. Without doing it. Okay. Now you know. Now I know. Best corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. Okay. Best corpse. We have two corpses. We have Bernard and we have Eddie. I thought about it. I think Eddie is better. He's corpse he, or death? Corpse. He's got a little eyes open, doesn't he? Eh. Bernard has to float in water. Oh, that's true. He does have I to. I go for Bernard. Yeah, Bernard is that. After the credits. Well, the obviously the airfield is saved now from... Though we don't know how. The fate maybe made enough money? They do that every year. If they I, knew that was going to generate enough money to get them out of their hole, then they would have said that all along. I guess. I don't know. The spa is going to go on just fine without Stephanie. Well, it's a business school with a spa <laughs> attached to it. So Gavin goes and sets up his shop. Yeah. Jesse kind of gets screwed because yeah. her in-laws hate her. They don't like her. And No, that's not true because when they say they're going to keep the airfield open, they say they'll know it's going to be in good hands. They look at Jesse. That's true. That's true. But how long is Alex going to be in prison? I don't know. Because he's like a traitor. I hope Molly and Dougie have tea once a week. I do too. They should be friends. They have more in common than they don't. So let's let's cover Perry. His wife is horrible. I think he knew that already. Oh, yes. And he's gotten on the better side of his mom because he's not selling the, the airfield. The airfields now. So right. I think he's going to be okay. I think Perry and Jesse will run the airfield. Yeah. 
And maybe Gavin will decide to stay instead of starting his own school because maybe he'll be able to have more responsibility there. Maybe. And a bit more respect. Yes. We haven't said an interesting thing about Gavin. That he's played by Lex Shrapnel. Yes. Who is the son of John Shrapnel, who played Max in Written in Blood, the the writer who comes to Brian Clapper Sweatsoup's writing writing club. Yes. He's also in the first Captain America movie. As soon as I saw that his last name was Shrapnel, I was like, they have to be related. How many people can be named Shrapnel? How many people indeed can be named Shrapnel? So that is The Flying Club. It's not the best episode of Midsummer. It has some great actors in it. It uh, it does. But terms of plot, eh. I think they were kind of saving up. Yeah, because next week, oh boy. Episode 100. Big time. First of all, you find Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email. Please send us emails. We love reading them. <laughs> we do. We read them to each other and cry. Or it's, laugh. Yep. Uh, we post on the Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn, the subreddit, and anywhere else you'd find maniacs like the over a hundred people who have signed up for the for the newsletter. Yeah, it's that's great. fantastic. Uh, YouTube, like and subscribe us and hit the bell. Did you know that we had over forty six hundred minutes of views last year, last month on no, YouTube? That's yeah. great. It's insane. It's a convenient way for people to listen to a podcast. Yeah. I completely understand that. It is. Our next episode is season 16, episode five, The Killings of Copenhagen. It's international. It's international. They cross a border and it's not to Wales. No. Or Scotland. And we're going to do it live. At 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So what you do, and I'll put this in a a post also, Mm -hmm. what you do and in the show notes is you'll go to our YouTube channel and there will be a, a note there. Now, if you've already rung the bell on our YouTube channel, you'll get a notification Yep. that says we're about to go live. There'll be a countdown. It'll be very exciting. We'll have some technical difficulties. I'm sure we will. Everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> and then we will be live and we'll do the episode like we do it normally here with all our ums and ahs and all our... Oh, we the got, pre-edited version. We're going to have to edit that part out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and there will be a chat that runs alongside that mm-hmm. we will be able to see as we're doing the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'll edit that episode and put it out on Monday. We hope that you'll join us. Uh, It'll, that, it will be way more fun the more people who are there. Yeah, if you can possibly please join us because I think it'll just be a blast. And we think it'll be about 90 minutes. Maybe. Max. Yeah, max. Only because it'll have all of our flubs in it unedited out. Yes. <laughs> so next Saturday, that is September... 18th. 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Yes. We tried to choose a time that would allow the most time zones to join us on yep. our YouTube channel. Come yep. hang out. It'll be a great time. It will. We'll have a, a blast, to say the least, and celebrate our 100th episode. Yeah. So. so until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. What it does to bears in the long dark is enough that I <laughs> That's never... a video game, honey. <laughs> I know, but I'm sure they did that research when they they made it. That you they did should... the same Google that yep. I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad.